you're thinking you're thinking wow that's a funky jam and i totally agree with you my name is jude gold this is no guitar is safe episode 54 and you're listening to a song from the new record by shane terrio love shane's playing love shane's music the record is called still motion yes i got to finally catch up with shane when he was in L.A., right at the conclusion of a massive arena tour with the band that he plays lead guitar for, Hall & Oates. Maybe you've heard of them. They've only sold 270 quadrillion records. I just made up that, made up that figure there. But they are one of the biggest duos ever. And they've had an incredible amount of hit songs. So he's been doing that for a while. Shane is also the lead guitarist and the musical director of Daryl Hall in Hall Notes' show. It's called Live from Daryl's House. You've probably seen it or heard about it, where he has all these superstar singers and musical artists come by his house and they jam with a multi-camera shoot and they play, play songs, perform a set. Shane is the MD for that. Cool job. A lot of work, but that's not too much for Shane. He, uh, he definitely seems to me to be a workasaurus. And uh, it was so cool of Shane to uh, grab a couple pedals and a guitar literally off the truck with help from his tech as the tour had concluded so that he could meet up and jam with me in Los Angeles. And we met over at one of my favorite places, Swing House Studios in Glendale. Love this place. It's got everything from full-on recording rooms to uh, rehearsal rooms. But it's not just all the, the, you know, the full features that I love about it. It's also just the, the feng shui, man. I don't know about you. That's important to me. High ceilings, big hallways, lots of parking, cool neighborhood. I, I dig that stuff, man. It's just a great thing all around. At one point, Phil walks in the room. I have to kind of like spontaneously grill him a little bit about <laughs> what it's like to run Swing House. Phil Jargui, he runs it with Jonathan Mover. And I got to thank him again for hooking me up with this room because he also pulled out a nice brand new Fender Deluxe reissue for uh, Shane to plug into. I brought along my little Dr. Z combo. Maz 18 NR, if you happen to be a Z geek like I am. Of course, we're not really cranking these amps, you know, but we're, they're good for what we're doing. We're jamming through them. We got some pedals out. We got the, the uh, Rotovibe pedal from Dunlop. Always wanted one of those. Of course, I'm using it. You know, the speed is a little too fast, but I just got this thing finally jamming with one of these things. I've been gigging with it, loving it. Thank you, Dunlop. Now, Shane is also a Grammy winner. This is a guitarist who's a great producer. He's first of all produced tracks for Ramsey Lewis, like this one, which features Dr. John. It's called Jungle Strut. (laughs) 
Shane got a Grammy producing the album called The Legacy by Joel Saunier. Congratulations to Shane for becoming Grammy-winning producer-guitarist. That is so epically cool. I first met Shane when he was playing with the Neville Brothers at the Fillmore, San Francisco. He's just always playing with really tasty artists. He's played with Willie Nelson, Little Feet, Leanne Rimes, Jewel, either recording or touring or performing. His resume is way too long to list here. But I hope you enjoy this hang with Shane Terrio. So let's fire up the Whirly Bird, head over to Swing House Studios, where Shane is trying to show me this cool tune of his from an earlier record called Dublin. The song is called Dublin. The record is called The Grease Factor. That's what we're kind of warming up our fingers on. Finding our tones, getting shit happening. It's early in the morning. Well, it's before noon, which is kind of early to be rocking out, but hey, ain't nothing going to stop us from doing the podcast. By the way, Shane has a cool podcast of his own called The Riff Raff, where he interviews great guitarists and musicians and bass players and, and uh, other people. I mean, Schofield, his friend was on there, John Schofield. You got to check it out. Is that a good... I think that's a good overview of our friend. You know what? I'm going to shut up. Let's let's hop in the chopper. Let's do this. an A flat something or other it's got the it's got a G yeah we don't have to play this maybe we play something else let's play right, let's let me play a little background for you Thank you. 
that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. It's over. I see. I mean, I just keep so when I'm like still trying to work on the changes, I'll just keep going and going. Yeah. And I just got to stop because I, I want to talk to you, Shane. It's too early for jazz, Jude. You know, it's know. LA, man. Nobody's doing this. It's 11 o'clock. In the yeah. Morning. I find I play jazz best to the, well, in the morning. No, in the afternoon. Wait, no. <laughs> None of the hours, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but I try. So, dude, you're in town. This is crazy. And. You have been doing a crazy tour, right? How many shows did you just finish with Hall & Oates on this tour? It wasn't as many as you think because Hall & Oates, believe it or not, they have the luxury of doing, you know, a show every other day or every two days or they don't want to do a show every day. So it's really, we'll go out for like two and a half weeks and do seven shows, you know. That's nice. (laughs) It's nice, but it, things drag on and, uh, you know. Where did you go in the last, like, say, for the last whatever it's been? How many shows? Well, many we've, shows been out, we've been doing arenas for three months, but it hasn't been three months straight. It's been, like, yeah. two weeks, two and a half weeks, and then a week off or two weeks off. And they never go out for more than That's what Metallica does. When you've arrived, when you're that big, you know, they yeah. go out for two weeks and they go back and chill with their families, right? And yeah. <laughs> go back at it, like out again, and that's, that's they're living the dream. Yeah. And, but, but it's nice because I get days off and I get to hang with friends like yourself and do things in cool places like L.A. and, you know. Yeah. So what's the gig <laughs> like with Hollow Notes? I mean, they, I mean, I, for myself, it's always been a dream to play with a, 
a band on that level where they have so many hit songs. I just love it when thousands of people are singing the lyrics and, and that's a you real know, thing. I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you um, an eloquent description and I'll give you just a, a, a guitar player description. The guitar player, it's loud. You know, loud as hell, actually. It's on one stage? Of the, yeah. Oh, God, it's unbelievable. So I take it they're not on in-ears. Oh, no. Uh, a couple of the guys, but Daryl Hall, no. Two, right. two Fender Twins on seven. I know the yeah. feeling. Paul Cantor used to do that all the time. Yeah, man. It's old rock and roll. You know, I mean, gee, Smith and those guys, they cranked. You know, they were playing Marshall yeah. Stacks and things. So it's it's loud, and people say, oh, I know, it's a loud band. Oh, yeah, you have no idea. But, you know, the more... The more the 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 bigger view of it is that Holland Oates has the it's it's a sort of unusual position that their songbook has worked its way into the vernacular of like everyday American life. You know, what I mean, like for oh, instance, yeah. go shop hmm. at Ralph's in the grocery store or whatever, and you'll hear "No Can Do" or check in the lobby at the hotel, you'll hear Sarah Smile and. You know, their yeah. biggest selling pop duo in history. They have so many hits, so we can't even do all the hits in a 90-minute set. It's crazy. Good songs, too. Great songs. Yeah. Oh, man, I just love the R&B influence. Like, you know, I was just a rocker kid when <laughs> I was a teenager, and they were new. Well, you and I are probably the same, yeah. I've, and so I don't know if I always gave their songs, in, you know, enough credit for some of the... But then, like... The other day, I'm hearing, like, you make my dreams come true on a fat stereo system. And sure, it's, I love pop music, by the way. I always have. Um, and the f groove is just so huge. I was like, fuck, how did I not feel this? when I was listening mm -hmm. to ACDC at age 12. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, well, they let, you know, they're really, um, I'll show you something that we do with that song now. But, um, yeah, sure. Dreams, we, we, they really want to play, like, present day, Daryl likes to play with the arrangements a lot. And the, the, the beautiful part of that gig for me, or for being a guitar player, is the total freedom they give me, which is, you know, Oates and, and uh, Daryl, they totally give me a lot of freedom. Now, you can't get up there and just shred over every song. You have to keep it in context, but um, we rearrange a lot of things, you know, and we do it we do it a lot yeah. off the cuff on Daryl's TV show. But, uh, but like, for instance, uh, You Make My Dreams, the end of that song now, let me see if I can get this tremolo working. Woohoo! Fender Deluxe coming through. I'm trying to get some pop, some pop staples-ish something. But um, so the real, you know, the original version we play it. We 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 play it up to a certain point, and then at the end it goes into this. Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, you know, because I mean, we've done them so many t They've been playing it that way. So they love little ideas you can throw in like that that change it up, and crowd loves it. And That's great, man. I mean, it's. I'm sure people are just dancing and singing throughout. Now, what's, what's it like playing big arenas every night as 
you know, for you up there. Are you, I notice you're kind of a, you have your own little section of the stage. Yeah, well, I'm on the front line with Daryl and John, and I'm next to Daryl, and uh, it's, it's loud, you know, but it's fun. It's a yeah. rush. You know, it's a lot of people. Right. Uh, if the sound is good, the sound can be problematic in those large arenas, so you have to have a pretty right. capable sound burst in which they do. Sure. But it's fun. You know, you get to crank, and what guitar player of your <laughs> listening audience probably right now wouldn't like to crank up a Marshall? And, and when the room is big enough, it's not even that loud. It yeah. do, it's not really that loud, no. Oh, I mean, just a Marshall amp in general. When yeah. you're in a big place, yeah. it's the right thing. <laughs> right. In a room like this, it would be killing us if yeah, we took well, 100 watt Marshalls on it. But yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, but you know, man, you do the same thing. It's uh, it's fun. It's 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 a nice change, and um, it's a it's a great gig. I love the gig. I've been doing it a while, so. I'm so I have this theory that certain pop songs have these great progressions, but people don't necessarily think about jamming on them, but. They they translate like okay. Tell me if you recognize this. Well, let's let's see if we could play "Kiss on My List," but as a rocker, or, you know, just as a guitar thing. Maybe you could play this with me. Let's see. <laughs> oh God, you're gonna put me on the spot. No, or just jam. No. You could solo over the top or something. Oh, How's yeah. it go? Well, the the intro to that tune goes up. Yeah, I just, I'm not playing any of that stuff on the on the I know, tour, but the the intro is like. And I'm just going... Uh, who's playing that lead part? You? Well, John and I are kind of crunching away. And then when it gets to... Yeah, yeah you're right. It's like... That, a lot of Daryl's songs have the major to, to minor thing. Yeah. I love that. They, a lot of them do, actually. If you analyze yeah. it, major to minor chords and also the Philly kind of four over five. Yeah. Yeah. Those chords. Totally. They're in a lot of... Yeah. That's what I play. It's more of a Van yeah. Halen eyes version. It. the best progression to jam over because the solo is like one of those kind of sing-along solos you know now what happened at the end of the tour i guess or some real real life Uh, real world stuff came in family emergency with roland the singer for tears for fears who they were the opening act on the on the tour and so uh we've just postponed staple of of all gigs two nights at staples center sold out but we're gonna come back yeah, in September, the biggest venues and <clears throat> most high-profile venues. So yeah, that's unfortunately that's what happened. But I guess it was the last you guys chose after that. Or you're gonna, that are still going, or that's kind of the tail end of the tour. We're going right? to we're going to yeah. to the O2 in London in, in uh, for Halloween or right around Halloween in in something else. But that's it. That then it's gonna yeah. start winding down. Yeah. I mean, do you feel connected with the crowd? I mean, in a band like that, when you're playing lead guitar, I mean, it goes so far back, these arenas. It's like, I know they seem actually smaller once you get up there. It 
seems almost bigger when you're in you the mean audience. A physical connection? Sure. Yeah. yeah, you can see the front row and people are connecting and yeah. and um, it's different. I mean, my favorite venue is more the theater club type thing. Yeah. But arena's cool. I mean, when you have that sort of bells and whistles that they have, the lights and all that stuff, you know, and the screens and Yeah. How do you guys travel? I'm um, just curious. The buses? A combination. Planes? Combination. Learjets? Yeah. No, but they charter sometimes, right. yeah. Uh, and you can and drive right up to the plane, which is nice. Sometimes, <laughs> and not always, and not we always. bus a lot, and, uh, you know, it's nice. They, they take care of everybody, I got to say, yeah, for sure. And you've been doing that for a few it's years. Almost, well, I started on, the, I actually started on Daryl's TV show first, yeah. live from Daryl's uh-huh. house, and um, so I, that's been three years, over three years. And then, like six months later, started Holland Oats. Right, mm-hmm. and then, what? You've had a bunch of guests come through on Daryl's house that mm-hmm. you probably played with. Anything stand out for you? Man, there's been so many. I mean, like you, you name a guest, there's a story to go with it. I mean, the first one I did was with Billy Gibbons. I mean, I got the gig. Um, I talked. I went to hang with Daryl in New York. He wanted to meet me. And we hung out, and he's like, you know, you want to do the gig, and blah, blah, blah. So and he had never met you? How did he no. learn well, about I, you? I, I got the gig from John. I played on John Oates's ah. record. Cool. I met John, played on his record. We kept in touch. Saw John in Japan a few months later. He was in, on tour with Larry Carlton doing one show, so I ended up hanging out with John. That's a crazy story. I don't know if you want me to tell it, but it's kind of how I got the gig. Um, Larry Carlton's bass player, Travis, his son was sick, so he didn't make the tour. So I ended up playing bass with Larry because I just happened to be in Japan with my wife on vacation because she's <laughs> Japanese. And uh, and and John recommended me to Larry, so I, I ended up doing a whole tour with Larry. Whoa. So John was on one show, and he's like, man. And you're playing crazy. bass. Yeah, I played bass. Well, I played on John's record. Yeah. And uh, But with Larry for that tour, you're with, on bass. With Larry, I played bass, yeah. That was a whole other story. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was crazy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that at that point, I guess wheels had started turning, and John had told uh, Daryl, you know, you know, I like this guy, and you should check him out. Blah 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 blah. So, man, that's met Daryl. Literally three days later, the manager calls me. Work out all the details. He goes, "When you get back, I was in New Orleans." He goes, "When you get back." Turn your phone on tomorrow morning because your phone is going to go crazy. And Billy Gibbons called me first call, call, and <laughs> really? wanted to talk about the songs. And uh, it's been like that, you know. It's like certain guests are easy to reach, and you know, yeah, easy well. to connect with. Certain ones aren't because of the the manager and the wall that they put up with their artists. So a lot of my my gig is the I'm basically the conduit. Musical director is the title, but basically the go-between between, between Daryl and artists, meaning right. arrange songs, come up with repertoire, bounce things off of each other, just get people to return calls sometimes, you know, sure. artists. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when you say guess, I don't know, that's what comes to mind because the actual performance is so fast, you know, it's... Uh, but you know, you know Sammy Agar and those guys, they're super cool. They're so down to earth, they're rock stars, and they're like the easiest guys. Other people who are the younger artists, I won't mention names, they might be nice, but man, they're just so hard to deal with, like to get material, to get to just get emails returned or they don't work on the material. Wow. So So you do you end up writing charts and stuff? Oh yeah, or? absolutely. I write 
great charts and uh, not everybody in the in the house band reads but they all they'll look at things and I, I do all the charts and arrangements and get it to everybody because there's there are no rehearsals so no rehearsal wow just day of a little bit a little bit show up we'll and... run through maybe I like I've, I've said before like uh, somebody else asked me this the other day like I'll get there we'll get there around 10 in the morning and goof off for a minute and have coffee and no artist is there and Daryl's not there and the band will run through a few arrangements I'll kind of scream in the mic like just vocals yeah. guide vocals or whatever right, right. and we'll try to get through everything but a, lo- a lot of times endings aren't decided at, at that point or uh, if they're horns there's certain horn cues vocal blocks will try to rough out really quick Luckily, yeah. everybody in the band is like an amazing singer, so we can work out a block pretty quick. So Daryl will show up usually around one, and we'll maybe we'll run through a couple things. Usually not. And the artist, once the artist shows up, cameras are rolling. I mean, what you see on the show when they get out of the yeah. car and there's a camera, that's it. And he's walking and play. <clears throat> you walk in and play and hit it and have a little food sometimes. We have food after. I mean, we <laughs> stop for a lunch while the artist is getting like stuff set up. We'll grab something, but I mean. Yeah. It's it's really fast, man. I mean, it's really fast. And you, nobody's you know, luckily stop. it's not live, so if you need to it's do it, it's not live. Too, but, but when you have twenty camera people around, and you know you're you're on set with DOJs or yeah. Cheap Trick, and you're like, man, my guitar solo, I didn't nail that lick. It's, nobody cares, and you're not going to get in a, another shot. So it's right. know, that's that can be a little stressful, you know. But I, a lot of times I don't even get to think about the guitar parts because it's like herding cats trying to get everything, yeah. cues and things like that, you know. Lead guitarist and lead emailer. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much what it is, yeah. So let's, man, can we jam on a little lick or show, man, show me a lick from your lick. new record, Still Motion. On. A lick? Let's see. Like, uh, I mean, there's so much good shit on there. I love it. Like... <laughs> Yeah, that that tune is the one with me and Jim Keltner on it. It's just it's a really simple chord progression. It's just E to D yeah. to B, right? But what I did was sometimes I'll do this little thing where you you play the E like this, so that your pinky is playing the twelfth fret sixth string. So yeah. you have this bar, and then your first finger is playing the ninth fret, yeah. fourth and third. Cool. And then what that does is enable you to like. So you could use your middle finger on the 10th fret and bend this note up. I like that. Yeah. And then you just go to the whole step down um, to D. That's great. So when you put it together... Thank you. 
love your little uh, neck bending pedal. Yeah, I love this <laughs> thing. You know, if you ever check out any old Joe Zawinul videos, yeah. you know, Joe Zawinul, from the great keyboard player, yeah. founder of Weather Report, he'd always do this thing where he would, he would manipulate the pitch wheel while yeah. he would play something. Yeah. And um, I love this little vibrato pedal because I, it has an unlatch mode that I'm probably the only person to ever use this thing. But you can hit it to where it's like momentary thing. Yeah. And if you're playing a, um, you know, some kind of, uh, you can get very degree, varying degrees of wobbleness. <laughs> kick it on yeah. every once in a while and it sounds sort of like a whammy bar kind of you know yeah yeah sounds like yeah <clears throat> so i use that a lot sounds great on the chords what was that name of that pedal well this is a behringer the the lowly oh. 29 dollar behringer but i have the the reissue of uh the boss one which sounds great unfortunately it was stuck in the the, the uh, all the gear yeah but this, have... i'll tell you what man this behringer sounds really good i mean for for 29 bucks it's yeah. like you know let's just kick it in a little bit yeah that's um, great <clears throat> i was talking to robert keely about he should make one you know because vibrato is a cool effect yeah totally it, it, it's not quite chorus and it's not quite tremolo and it's just uh I'm just trying this one from Dunlop. I love the old Rotovi pedal. Ooh, that sounds nice. Of course. I just love it because you can change the thing, but I, I usually use the uh, chorus side of it. Yeah. never played over that progression it's yeah. always um it's always <laughs> i've never played over any of these progressions you've chosen june uh, um let's see <laughs> that's awesome man
Now, what kind of rig are you running on the pollen notes, like real quickly, overviewed? <clears throat> well, um, some of these same pedals. I, I'm using, um, well, I, I alternate between a Fuchs Overdrive Special, which is like, uh, I, I, I think it's an old baseman that he just gutted and put this circuitry from his Overdrive Special, which is essentially a Dumble circuit. And uh, but but really, the, for the most part, the last few months I've been using a hundred watt, nineteen seventy one super lead Marshall hundred watt. It sounds really great, man. Something about having a hundred watt amp, <clears throat> you don't even have to play as loud. It just feels the girth of it. It's just wider. Yeah, exactly. You're just from running. What are you running through? Two by twelve or something? A two twelve, an old boogie cabinet I've had forever. Got a lot of different kind of cabinets. That one just seems to work well. Can you just run pedals into the front of the amp, or how do you do it? With the Marshall, I do. The yeah, only downer cool. about that is that the delay things kind of go crazy. Yeah, of course, because uh, the power tubes are grinding. and. Yeah, but, I, you know, whatever, man. I, I use it. I don't yeah. care. And I'll, I'll use the, uh, sometimes I'll use the Fuchs, which has an effects loop. That's what I use live. You know, on, on a TV show, it's, it can be all kinds of different things. Sometimes I'll use like a, the, like your amp you're playing through that Dr. Z. Sometimes I'll use a bunch of old vintage things, you know, but. Yeah, yeah. So what what inspired you to pick up a guitar, Shane? How did this happen? You grew up near New Orleans? Yeah, right, right <laughs> outside of New Orleans. My, um, well, I'll tell you, I remember my uncle playing guitar. We used to go to this place during the summer that my grandfather had access to it was like a I don't know it wasn't really a timeshare it was out in the woods you know out of the city and my I remember my uncle sitting on the front porch and playing Stairway to Heaven and all these songs and he had this Gibson Hummingbird and I just thought it was unbelievable to watch his fingers and so I wanted to play guitar and around the same time one of my best friends that I grew up with <clears throat> was in this little band around the corner you know a little garage band and I really wanted to be in that band and I wanted to play, and I, I originally started out playing drums so I was a drummer first. I wanted to play drums. The problem is, is he was the drummer. So he says, I can get you in the band if you play guitar. Uh-huh. So at that point, I had kind of plucked around How a little bit on guitar. Uh, I was probably nine. Oh, that's pretty young to join a band, but right on. Ten. Yeah, about ten. I, played my, I remember playing my first gig when I was 11 years old. Wow. We played a gig at a church festival, which church festival in South Louisiana is a completely different visual than what you're probably picturing. You know, it's people partying their ass off and, you know, it was, uh, it was fun. And I just remember thinking, this is it, man, I'm going to do this. And my uncle would come over after school and show me all kinds of stuff, man. Like he grew up in the seventies. So he would show me, uh, you know, show me the way. Oh yeah. He'd make me learn that stuff or, uh, you know, Nasty Dogs and Funky Kings and all that stuff he showed me until I got it. He was very patient. So that's how I really got into it. And I knew early on that this is what I wanted to do. And then after that, I remember a friend of mine saying, do you listen to Eddie? I'm like, Eddie? Eddie who? I love Eddie Money. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. And I was like, Eddie? And he showed me the Van Halen Diver Down album. And I looked at the back cover and saw those people. I was like, what is this? All those people in that one shoe that somebody threw on the stage. (laughs) (laughs) The greatest album cover, the back of that, man, it's unbelievable. And then I was just hooked. From that point on, 
Yeah. I, I think our paths probably are similar at that point. You know. I know. I got one reason we were talking about this earlier. This boss thing. One reason I like the DD500 is just saving shit. Like I actually now I can have that diver down setting. Cathedral sound. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like trying to dial that stuff. Yeah. It's it's nice to have all this program. Absolutely. That album. Yeah. That was a. I remember that. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, know, awesome. you know that is tune, that, right? I do. Is that Hang 'em uh, High? Yeah, it's Hang 'em High, yeah. yeah. You know, no, all the, that stuff is just, his rhythm playing is just sick, man. I mean, obviously, you play everything. You know, I've seen you, you're such a versatile cat. And but I also picture you just playing meter stuff or some. Where's the New Orleans <laughs> funk stuff coming? <clears throat> that for came you? later. I mean, I grew up hearing that stuff sort of by yeah. osmosis, you know. But I wasn't really into it. I mean, sorry, man, about all these water systems. Oh, no, it's dry here. Yeah, <clears throat> we don't have that that humidity no. <laughs> that they have in the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, let's see. My mom bought me a record called "They All Asked for You" when I was a kid, and on the it was by the Meters. That was like a regional hit, you know. Yeah. I went on down to the Ottoman Zoo, and they all asked for you. That yeah. was, I mean, was that? I mean, I've, I totally know that song, but I don't know where it came from. What the original was? The original, well, Zig Zigaboo Modalise had told me once that it was sort of an old song that they retooled, maybe, and it was all this little inside tongue-in-cheek humor, and you know, probably meant more than what most people think. And right. um, but I, I think they're credited as the original writers. But anyway, on the flip side was a tune called Running Fast, right? And it was like, I heard it and I heard the guitar and it had a phaser on it. I had no idea what a phaser was. And I don't know really how to play it. I've done this before with George Porter. I didn't kind of fell on my face. I didn't know how to play it. But basically, it was something like... It's something like that, right? Yeah. With a phaser and it's, it's just kick ass. And I thought, that's... Wow. <laughs> so I heard that stuff growing up, and I heard, you know, all the Mardi Gras stuff on the school bus they'd play and on the radio, and I heard all that stuff. And in meantime, my father loved music. He was um, he was really into, like, Cajun Zydeco music. You know, that was sort of a, his, you know, that's kind of my yeah. lineage, really. And uh, he would listen to all that stuff on the weekends and take me to gigs like that. And so all that stuff sort of melded together, but I was only interested in playing the stuff we grew up in, you know, and, and right, Van the Halen and the the rock stuff. And then I got into jazz, so it all sort of melded together. So, of course, any meters tunes you like jamming on? Meters? So oh, many. man, there's so many. I mean, there's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, everyone jams on Sizzy Strut. <clears throat> I played it so much, I kind of don't... It's kind of like... People say... See uh, what the people See. say. That's people say. See, dude, for you, that's just so, so like just second nature, just walking down the street. But that I hear the New Orleans, I hear the meters in that, man. Oh yeah, that's I the meters. That. I mean, that's all that it's Leonis like, and Telly, yeah. The way that yeah, you're, you 
You're getting that little snap, and you're getting the tone. What's the guitar you're playing? This is uh, this is a um, custom Tele style guitar by my friend Gerard Malasa Malasa Guitars in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and he's a great luthier. He's a good friend. He's built. He builds for um, who's the cat in uh, Brad Whitford and Dave Matthews had some of his guitars, oh, cool. and he's just a small one man show you know but uh really great and i've had this guitar a long time you got a couple of his guitars right i have two actually i have three but two are sort of playable the third one he built out of wood from my house in new orleans which (laughs) things like a boat anchor man yeah he almost messed up his saw doing it but um this guitar is like it's got let's see a humbucker and another humbucker in the neck and a single in the middle and it has this little you can pull this thing and get single coils yeah. It wasn't what I was going to bring to our little session, but it's what I had access to. But it has a nice sound. It's, it's a versatile yeah. guitar. It's got a Wilkinson's trim on it, too. Yep. Wilkinson trim. Yeah, Wilkinson. Those are cool bridges. So I know cats from all over the country, <clears throat> man, that, you know, just about every major city, but I realize I don't really know too many, like, I know of famous New Orleans musicians, but you're like one of my only friends that I actually know that lives in that scene. Like you've been there for your whole life or? Well, no, we moved away when I was about 16. And I I didn't go back to New Orleans until I was in my early 20s when I started playing with the Neville Brothers. And then even then I had a place in Nashville. And I just started falling in love with the place again. And I just yeah. ended up back in New Orleans, man. It's the energy of that river. Yeah. <laughs> it pulls you in for better or worse. But uh, So I've been living there. I've lived there most of my life. And, we, and now yeah. I have a place in New York City, too. I'll check you so out. I kinda, well, I had to for the gig, <laughs> Yeah. for Daryl's gig. So I'm kind of back and forth. Hey, yeah. that's nice. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I picture you like when you're off the road or something, you have like a week or two off, like just having like gig opportunities every night just down the street in New Orleans playing with your friends and stuff. There must, I mean, I've been there a few times and there's well, so know, many Jesus, clubs. Yeah, but it, it, there are so many, there are a lot of clubs, but New Orleans is not so much a guitar town. You know, right. it's, it's a horn town. It's a definitely a drum town. It's a, Marching band piano town. town. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's a piano town. There there's yeah. some you know there's a few good guitar players there, but the scene doesn't usually support a guitar as an instrument. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff, you know. Maybe that's why I don't know too many cats there. <laughs> no, it's so funky though. Like you had John Cleary on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I've played with John. I, most of the people on my podcast I've worked with, so I'm going to run <laughs> out pretty quick. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, <laughs> but yeah, John is great, and John's a great guitar player, and I've worked I on John's like, records. And... I remember I heard this song, uh, "Fool's Game," and the riff was so yeah, funky. And to me, I'm maybe I'm ignorant, but to me that sounds like a New Orleans kind of funk riff. Maybe I don't know that that tune. I didn't play on that actual it's like, track, but it's like three, four. Oh yeah. Maybe I'll fly in a little bit of actual uh-huh. actual song. Yeah, nah. Listen, stop and think about 
Yeah, that was that's slow. And what's that? You're like a guitar player on. What, it's not even about the guitar. It's just well, about the Well, a grade. lot of the guitar, like I think, I think what you're hearing is just the rhythmic thing. The, the New Orleans thing, the rhythmic thing, is so strong. Um, I remember the time I saw you at MI. I was doing that little workshop, and we were talking about this and, and the Big Four. You know, I don't remember if you remember that. The big, you know, like James Brown yeah. is the one. You know, one. You know. Yeah. One. Yeah. You know, New Orleans is four, so it would be and a four. You know, so it's like one, two, three, boom. Right. Boom. 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 And Interesting. It's that, and it's uh, it's a clave influence, you know, three, two, you know, one, two, three, uh, 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 uh. So that's... Immediately you think of because uh, it's so close to the diddly, you know, oh, yeah. but but it, yeah, all that stuff got melded together, you know, and mixed together. Yeah. So like, Pockyway, Neville Brothers, one. It's a three-two clave, and variations, you know. Yeah. Man. It's just a 3-2 clave kind of yeah. rhythm, you know, with different little things in there. But, you know, man, that, that whole yeah. thing, like there's a tune called, um, what is the tune called? F thing, because I didn't know what to call it, because it was just a jam yeah, on my record. Funky. And it's just F, and it's just... Just, just, you know, like yeah. you can feel that percussion. Like it's just one guitar and it's driving everything. Exactly. It's kind of a blues, right? Yeah. So it's. To a four. Yeah. To a five. There's a couple of chords and they're missing, but right. and then it's got a two-four <laughs> bar. But that's that drive, you know. Yeah. And that's that's all New Orleans stuff. It. That's like that old piano kind of um papa do Jesse Hill kind of stuff. Kiss on my list. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to do with kiss on my list, man. <laughs> I'm convinced we can. That's good, Jude. Remember, need a sub, man. You know that song for sure. Uh, those funky shoes to fill, man. But like uh, those kind of things find their ways into sneak, have snuck their ways into other gigs I've done, like, you know, Daryl's Sarah Smile. You know, I can, you can do a lot of different little things. Little embellishments and oh, yeah. things. You know, rhythm stuff. The, New Orleans is all about rhythm, man. It's and not so much the harmonic thing. You know, even brass bands. I mean, they're yeah. they're uh, 
they do these ostinato things where it's one to four. Yeah. You know, for like an hour. <laughs> you know, but it's so funky, you don't yeah, care. If there's a good groove, and yeah, I mean, it's something about being near the Caribbean, which I'm convinced has the best dance grooves ever. If you ever listen to like the sambas or the socas mm-hmm, sure. Trinidad or whatever, or the Brazilian marching, I mean... I don't know what it is about it. that whole area. It's just that those grooves are, if you get around a good band, you could be the stiffest, most non-dancing mofo, and you'll start moving. <laughs> you know, it just pulls you in. I can only imagine what it was like when there were really great marching bands going down the street in, you know, in New Orleans. It but, still um, happens. Yeah. It still happens. And there's that linear thing, too. There are things are, to me, that comes from, like, I noticed that with similar to salsa and Samba, where things are happening in different places in the mix. Mm-hmm. Every, not just like the drums or whatever, where there's everything, every in, every piece of the kit, if there is a kit, is happening at a different time, kind of, so there's not too much overlap. Right. But also with the other instruments, everything just fits together. I mean, it's the most three-dimensional sound. Yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of Latin, a lot of the Cuban stuff is like that, too. It's everything, if you heard it on its own, solo up uh, players, you think, what is this craziness? And you put it together, it's like, wow. It all works. I think people are missing out who haven't checked that out, especially if you see it live. Like, it sounds, it's so easy. It's, you know how hard it is to mix a rock band where everyone's playing eighth notes at like 120 decibels? <laughs> that's really, that's a major miracle to make that sound good through yeah. a PA. But a salsa band is a piece of cake. It's just everything's happening in a different place in the groove. It sounds so three dimensional. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I hear a touch of that in New Orleans. So I'm, I've always been fascinated with it. and want to learn more. Although- it's funny. I remember Cyril Neville <clears throat> telling me one time, we went to Jamaica. I went there with them once and Ziggy Marley was hanging out. And uh, I remember Cyril telling me that the first time he heard reggae, he didn't know where one was. And <laughs> uh, and Ziggy Marley was saying they used to they used to be able to get the, the radio station from New Orleans and in Jamaica, like at late at night, and they would hear the meters, and they had no idea what was going on. They were listening to each other each, at the same time. Each one was you listening know. backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Each one was listening. Man, they, they canceled each other out. You know, so. So, were you practicing pretty seriously as a teenager? Because you must have, like, Absolutely. by the time you got to GIT, I know that you were a star student over there. But what was what was your regimen like, or how did you get so man, damn I was good beforehand? Com- I was completely obsessed with it. It's, that's easily the best description. I was just so into it. I just, and you know, it was such a great time to grow up. Guitar was everywhere, man, you know. But I knew early on that I wanted to be a quote working guitar player, whatever capacity that would mean, like studio. So I really yeah. worked on um, reading and all that kind of stuff, you know, tried to work on a lot of different styles and things like that. Nice. So what? How did you end up out in Hollywood? I mean, when we moved from from Louisiana, New Orleans, um, I we ended up in South Carolina. My dad got a job there, and I ended up. I was playing in this Winthrop College band. I was still in high school, but I was playing there, and they. It was great. I mean, the teachers were great. I had great. I had a teacher that took me to hear Joe Pass on a school night in a club, like a jazz club. Just cool. But I knew I couldn't stay there. Yeah. And and I had, I went through like a semester there and had a little scholarship. And I thought mm, I got to get out of here. So you know, man, you you're at MI. You're you're the cat there. And and 
that's why people go there. They want to study with people that are working and in the scene. I didn't want to study with a professor who had never really done a gig, you know. I was like 19, man. Come on. Yeah, so. So I went to to MI, and uh, it was a, a great year. It was a great time to go. Everybody I wanted to hang with was there, and, you know, people you know and work with. Dan Gilbert was a great teacher, great motivator, kicked my ass every day really great. Scott Henderson, who got me my teaching gig after school, you know, because I taught for a little while there. And um, who else was there? Those were my main two people, but there were other other Those people are two too. great people, too. Yeah. yeah. And they're still teaching at MI, which yeah. is just wonderful. You know, just walk in a room and there's Scott Henderson just holding court. I love it. Every Monday and Tuesday, you know, when he's not touring. Yeah, so. man. I was. Uh, that was just the the time. You know, it was uh, going there, and it, it, you would improve exponentially in three months, rather than yeah. sit at home and you know take me a year to get. It, it filled in a lot of holes for me, I guess, at that time because I could already play. Yeah. And when I got there, I was yeah, I was a decent player. I could tell when I got there, I was okay. Well, I can hang, you know. But then right. in getting your ass kicked with Scott on a Friday in open counseling, on a Wayne Shorter tune, you're like, yeah, that'll get it together. That'll you're, shave You're a braver man off. than I. <laughs> yeah, Scott could be brutal back, you know, on some, some guys, depending. He, he'd make my whole weekend or break it. Like if I had a good, if I could hang for a little while and he said something positive, I was on cloud nine, man. That was, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Easy. how I, that's that's what happened with MI, and it was um, a great experience. So... Just looking back, are there any, like, just what are some of these holes that you feel like you had, that you helped fill when you got out and went to a good music school? Technical stuff that I don't think about anymore, like scale positions, you know, um, all the, you know, all the theory kind of things, like basically jazz harmony, like superimposing things, you know, melodic minor, all that kind of stuff that you could look up on YouTube now and get it. But back then, nobody had access to that. And it was like every day light bulbs would go off. Oh, okay, so it's okay to do that. But here's a better way to do it. It was linking things up, you know. It's still better to play it, learn it in real time with somebody you know, the real groove in person, even though YouTube is, of course, awesome. But <laughs> I think it's, <clears throat> I think that's true, and I, I also think it's, there's a certain phenomenon, aspect thing that happens when you sit with other guitar players and play, even if they're not a quote teacher. Yeah. There's something that happens where you just pull stuff out of each other, and and I think you grow that way. And so I, I think just being around people and and just being around the physical energy of that. Or any other yeah. place. I feel it in New York, absolutely. Oh, in New York, I feel it all the time. You know, Mike Stern lives next door, so I go and eat, soak up some of that stuff. And you know how it is, man. Yeah, it's, I've been to Mike's house. Yeah. You live over there in the <clears throat> kind of midtown-ish. Yeah, he's on 23rd. and I, well, He's on 22nd. I'm on 23rd. Yeah. No, he's on 23rd. I'm on 22nd. <laughs> that was a great time to go to school. And then what was your first real gig after school? Well, Scott got me a teaching gig. Scott and Dan had some something to do with it, too. There was a teacher named Steve Freeman who used to teach at MI years ago when it was GIT. He was one of the original teachers with, with Scott and Dan and all those guys. 
um, he had opened up a sister school, which was GIT Atlanta. So I hung in LA for a little while, and then Scott got me a job teaching based on his recommendation. I, I had no money, man. I was, oh, yeah. I was 20 years old. I was so green. I could play, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know. So I, I went to Atlanta and taught for a little while. And it, it, was just, it was just myself and Jimmy Herring and one other guy teaching. And I ended up, Jimmy was with the Aquarium Rescue Unit at the time. I think they had started. So every day he would miss classes, and I just took over all his classes. And I was like 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a while, and then I decided I didn't want to really teach. Yeah. Um, I wanted to play. So I uh, wanted to come back to L.A., didn't have any money, ended up going to Nashville because a friend of mine had moved there with this girl we knew, and so he had him. Twenty years old, man, you make those kind of decisions. Like twenty-one, you know. <clears throat> so I, yeah, I moved there, and um, the first big gig. I mean, I did all kinds of stuff, all kinds of gigs, not notable things. Right. <laughs> that's why. That's why the. I hear you. But the uh, I went to England once with Slim Whitman, believe it or not, and but the other guitar player on that gig was Harold Bradley, who was a He's still alive. Harold was one of the original Wrecking Crew guys in Nashville. He played on Crazy Patsy Cline. He played on. Damn. I mean, he's one of the. He's definitely the most recorded player in Nashville. He says he is in the world, like of all time, rivaling Tommy Jesco. Maybe. I mean, he played on. You look up his credits. He's a he's a gentleman and a great guy. And at that time, I was a long-haired rock and roll guitar player, and he took me under his wing and helped me out. You know. <clears throat> taught me a lot of things. We uh, so answer your question first. My first break, I'll say my first break was playing with a guy named Johnny Neal in Nashville. Johnny Neal's a blind B three player, keyboard player, one of the most ridiculously talented people I've ever met in my life to this day. Greg Allman hired him to play B three in the Allman Brothers, you know. And for whatever reason, he never really got famous, but people know who he is in Nashville. Anyway, at the time, he had the band in town, and Brent Mason was playing guitar. Uh, he had girl singers, blah, blah, blah. So he went through a couple guitar players, and um, I finally got my shot. So I went after Jack Pearson had left the band, and uh, I stepped in for Jack, and uh, that was my first break in Nashville where I had a real gig, and all of a sudden I had some credibility in town. People go, oh, that's the cat playing with John and Neil. So right away you had a little cred. you nice. know. But, but most, more importantly, it, 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 that gig, I think, distilled everything I learned at GIT and my stuff in New Orleans, all that kind of street learning and stuff. It put it into like playing in a soul R&B band. We do Tower Power, and it was a lot of original stuff. That really got me primed for when I got the gig with the Neville Brothers. I don't think I could have done that gig without Johnny throwing me that bone and giving me that gig first. You know, sweet. <clears throat> well, I saw you with the Neville Brothers too at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco. Wow, that was a long time ago, Jude. That, that was, was time's flying. <laughs> long that time. That was probably ten years ago. No, thirteen, fourteen. Mm hmm. Probably. That was yeah. a long time ago. I I remember that gig. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. Well, you played with them for eight years, and it must have been like two thousand five or something. Probably. That's Maybe probably around. It was after that, because I was... I mean, it was before that, man. Okay. I'll it was, take your word for it. it. was. I think it was before that, yeah. Definitely but, in the 2000s, Definitely though. in the 2000s. But, <laughs> yeah, there's some... I mean, they do some funky stuff. I love their version of... 
of uh, Fly Like an Eagle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, did you guys play stuff like that mm-hmm. every night? Sure. Or anything? Oh, sure we did, yeah. Indeed. Well, let's play just something a little bit. I don't know. Got too much talking, not enough rocking, Shane. Too much talking, not enough rocking. Let me think. What do you want to play? Like, um, yeah, something in- since we've been talking... How about this little... the way you you reach out with your pinky and grab cool stuff and chords well this is a thing i was gonna there's a tune on my record called uh it's called long long money there's this tune i did a couple this track i did with jim keltner and you know everybody does these kind of hendrixy curtis mayfield those kind of things there's other variations like you could take a you know those kind of started doing some things like that or uh or no those kind of things it's it's a fixed bar position on um it's sort of like if you think of a a sustain pedal on a piano Mm -hmm. so you try to get like let's see well long money is an f so it's this it's this this um those are the notes. But when you use this technique, you just let every everything sustain. 
That's beautiful. You know. So Slide. you're just barring at the fourth fret. Yep. So it's like. Like if you play an F, just a pedal, something like that, I can show, or an F sharp, sorry. So you can hear. Right? And I'll slide up. And then I keep the modal. I screwed it up. That's that's really nice. That's yeah, a technique. It's an R&B guitar, but you've added this really slippery uh, element. Yeah, and it's useful. It's a useful thing you can use in different. Um, I don't know. I've always, when I was playing with the Neville Brothers, you know, you're playing Pocky Way every night, and you're playing these things that are one chord vamps, or it's just these. The guitar is more of a, you know, as we discussed earlier, it's a percussive element. So rather than just being like a, you know, and. Uh, a tambourine or, or shaker with notes attached to it. I wanted to kind of get things interesting. So I would sit there and make up little finger things to do. And that's where a lot of these things came out yeah. of like the, like these kind of, where you move your fingers around kind of thing. Just to make it a little more interesting or this thing we talked about or that. Mm -hmm. I think you had like a cool effect on the re record that really makes it yeah. stand out even further. That is a combination of this, it's a, a, a delay pedal by Free the Tone that um, when I was in Japan with Larry Carlton, they came to the show and I hooked up with them and they're really great company. It's called the Flight Time Delay and it has a slight modulation effect. I don't remember the exact patch I used, but it was that pedal in combination with an old Boss RV3 that I ran out stereo. That's what it was. And it had like a little reverse pan effect or something. Sweet. Good ears, man, to hear oh. that because... So that's nothing. That's nothing except a little delay, and there's a little vibrato. Well, the album is just delicious. I know that there is this song "Shrimp Boots" that Dweezil Zappa noticed or something. What's the story with that? This is on you. You have a few solo records. Let's listen to a little bit of "Shrimp Boots." What's the deal with this song and Dweezil and all that? That tune was, well, Shrimp Boots, are, it's probably not what you think. Shrimp Boots, is it's sort of a, um, a regional colloquial thing in South Louisiana where people that do shrimping and hunting and stuff, they wear these white rubber boots. And they're called shrimp boots because shrimpers would wear them traditionally, you know. But That is what I was thinking. But out in I'm the <laughs> sticks, like in the bayou, people wear them to like, you know run errands it's, you know, they call them Cajun Reeboks you know uh, Cajun Reeboks but uh but they're yeah they're just shrimp boots shrimp boots I don't know why I name things like that you know that's what happens when you don't have lyrics and stuff but um one day I was at a friend's house and he saw this this uh contest 
it was a guitar solo contest or a guitar contest, I don't know. Uh, and he said, um, man, you should enter this, you know? I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. He goes, I'm going to send it in for you. So he sent in Shrimp Boots, the tune, which was just cut myself, drums, and there was a um, sousaphone player, Kirk Joseph from Dirty Dozen Brass Band, who's like the jocko of, uh, of sousaphone, and he's just a freak, amazing guy, and he plays through effects. And so we just cut a trio. And... Uh, few weeks later I get an email saying or somebody called me and said uh, you know Dweezil loves your track and you won and where do you want us to send this wiggy amplifier (laughs) so I won this like uh, amp I still have it actually friends with Dweezil. Since then, yeah, we've, we've become friends, and, and uh, he re- totally remembers that. He's like, that was you? I remember <laughs> Shrimp Boots. Yeah, I remember, but I didn't know that was you. So, <laughs> That's funny. He's, a, he's been on your podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very cool. Now, you've played some of the most amazing venues on planet Earth, from the Hollywood Bowl to Radio City to Madison Square Garden. But tell me, what is it like to play the White House? And who'd you play with? Uh, Hall & Oates. It what was, was the it event? Was cool. It was... Uh, it was for the Obamas, and they asked us to be there for, it was a governor's ball, and uh, it was cool. I mean, it was just Do they pay bands for that? I don't think they paid. I think <laughs> we did, as, and, and you did, dear taxpayers, I think, uh, and, and John and Daryl paid all expenses, so, you know, it was a, I think, I, think, I don't know if they pay, honestly, but I don't think yeah. so. I mean, I'm sure you got paid as a musician, but- yeah. So it's okay. Out. You know, not my favorite gig I've ever yeah. done. But I picture yeah. it being kind of like a highfalutin kind of wedding gig with a few more snipers involved. You'd probably be correct. A little more, more security. A little more uh, x-ray machines, maybe. If, you know, if you would see FBI and agents everywhere and people with earphones and men in black at a your wedding, wedding gig, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> and they probably inspect every piece of gear that comes oh, in. Oh, God, yeah. I know it goes a month before they do background clearance, and we had to send in all kinds of stuff. You send know. your amps and everything? No, or? I'm I didn't I'm not in charge of that, so I don't know. But basically, a pain in the ass. That's what it is. But you know, I guess it's an honor to go. And um, you know, I thought it was way more fun to go hang out at Bootsy Collins' house, which we got to do. That was fun to me. <laughs> the Bootsy house, the <laughs> <Yeah>. White House. <laughs> What's his house like, man? Uh, kind of pimped out, like you would think. You know. Yeah, that's exactly. Cheetah what... rugs and stuff. You know. But nice cat, really nice. In total, full regalia at his house, you know, full Bootsy. Yeah. Hey, come on in. You in the middle of it? Yeah, no, Phil in the house. Hey, What's Phil. Nice, nice shirt. I almost wore my Van Halen <laughs> okay. shirt today. Hey, man. Right. Shane Terrio. Phil Jargui, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, the, the visionary of Swing House. And very beautiful facility. Yes. You yes. can only see me now. <laughs> come on over here. <laughs> oh, good. That's a really good rig up right here. I let you know. Phil is making fun of. I deserve this. (laughs) Painter's tape is holding up the camera. I just took one or two little videos of Shane here today, but as a matter of fact, you know, I had one of those those tripod thing. I mean, uh, the bendable 
The gooseneck? Yeah, the gooseneck. I think I left it here during one of my other. It could have been Lita Ford or maybe Mike Keneally. Oh, yeah, we've been using it now. (laughs) So that's how I ended up with this. They charge extra for that one now, (laughs) Jude. But uh, Phil, yeah, this this place is a really cool spot. Phil has no idea that I want him to talk on the mic here. But since you're walking through the hallway here, I was just curious if... Just tell people about Swing House. I mean, what's the latest, and who are some of the artists that have actually been well, working here? Well, um, Swing House, um, we've been in a new location in Los Angeles uh, in Atwater Village, which is right next to the hipster town of Silver Lake and uh, Glendale, uh, downtown L.A. We've been here for about two, just over two years now, and uh, we have a six-stage facility and then nine producer suites where artists and producers and engineers and writers um, spend their days and we have all kinds of bands here. We've had everybody from, uh, let's see who's been in lately. We've had everybody from Ministry to uh, Grizzly Bear, Natasha Benningfield, uh, Fits in the Tantrums. Aerosmith, Chili Peppers. Aerosmith, Chili Peppers, those are all the classics have all been here, yes, many, many times. <laughs> What's We've... it like when Anthony Kiedis and Flea are walking down the hall? I mean, you know, are they? I've met them a couple times. They're short. They're short? They're yes. short, yes. <laughs> <laughs> most I, fa- I have found that most rock stars are short. Interesting. Yes, but they're all very nice. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, and I would say, I, 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 speaking of the Chili Peppers, I would say that when John Frusciante was in the band, it was probably when they were jamming, the three musicians, the players, um, it was like as good as Hendrix Power Trio, or as good as like you know like seen like a Miles Davis thing with Chad, Flea, and and uh, John Frusciante. It was three of the best musicians I've ever seen in some of these rooms in my whole life. I agree, man. When I saw the Chili Peppers at the Oakland Arena, I was just really stunned at how Hendrixy Frusciante was. Yeah, he was. And even cooler is at one time, I'll tell a story, is that one time, this is years ago, they were waiting for Anthony to, to come into rehearsal so they would always warm up for an hour or two on their own. And they did Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2 in order, note for note. What? Yes. Wow. Damn. Yes, yeah. solos, Eddie solos, John did it all. And then they did Black Sabbath, I forgot which record. They did Black Sabbath full record all in a row too. And he could nail every solo, the tones, everything. They were, you know, they, they, they were definitely musical geniuses. But um, yeah, they, they, they're a big part of our history. Um, a lot of the new bands who come through here and uh, um, a lot of great guitar guys come through. We even had Al Miola here last year, which mm. was totally bizarre, but totally cool. And um, I don't know. You name them, they've been here. If they're an up-and-coming band or a, a semi-famous band, they've at some point they have walked through, through Swing House, along with a lot of uh, random, the Johnny Depp's of the world and things like that yeah, have come through here too. You got Fender in here today, I think, shooting videos. And yeah, Fender are shooting their um, their online educational lesson videos, and we've got you doing your podcast here. Dude, you have been just like one of the best friends of the podcast, and I really thank you for that. And you've not only given me like tons of different rooms for these kind of things, but strings. You're a Diderio. Yeah. We are, uh, uh, we are a, a Diderio house here. We uh, we uh, are are uh, the the West Coast A and R hub for Diderio guitar strings, Evans drum heads, Promark sticks. Uh, we are also good friends with Black Star amps. So we we, we like all the cool stuff, you know. Shane's a Diderio oh, guy, absolutely. right? That's why yeah, I had to is. throw them some love. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually very excited to meet you because I was listening to um, to, to to you like a month ago or so, 
And my business partner, Jonathan Mover, said, hey, have you heard this guy? And I go, I've heard of him, but I don't know him. And then I looked you up, and I go, oh, shit. He's a, he's a Dario guy already. So Wait, Jonathan Mover, the drummer? The Jonathan sure, Mover, the drummer. I, we've communicated mm-hmm. many times. I've been in I drum. think he reviewed your record yeah. in his new magazine. In his yeah. magazine, yeah. He That's why we were talking about you. But yeah, yeah, I was totally excited to meet you. How did you How did you start on Dario's? Uh, Tom Spaulding. Yes. Tom Spaulding. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, yeah Tom's guy. a great guy. He, he signed me up, and I've been with him ever since. And of course, um, Live from Daryl's House has a big endorsement in Hall & Oates, so they have a big endorsement with them. So everything we use, everybody's using Diodario. Very cool. I use their picks and the cables. and Excellent. That's they're great They're great, man. I'm using those new, whatever they are in that case, the XL. The NYXLs. The NY, New York, whatever they are. New York XLs. <clears throat> those are great. They are, and I'll give you the quick, the, 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 I'm going to get out of your hair, but I'm gonna, uh, the, the, the quick spiel on those is that they are a hybrid, nickel hybrid metal. That is the strongest guitar string ever made, um, and where other brands say they are the, guitar, uh, the 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 strongest string that might not break, this is the one that will actually have the best tone, your best sustain, and will stay in tune the longest. And I've, I've I'm not saying that because I work for them. I'm saying that because yeah. it's true, and I can't believe it when we when they were first testing them and giving them to us, and they said, you know, use a whammy bar on it 1,000 times. You know, see how long you, until it takes to tune it, and they totally they mm-hmm. totally. Stand the test of time, and my, the funny thing is, it's kind of spinal tapish. When you, when you, if you just did a sustained note like on a G or something, it'll ring out forever. It'll just go, Whoa! you know, you just like walk away. It's still going. So I, I, I firmly do back them because they're they're excellent strings. They're I really don't mind a um, Diderio commercial because man, I, I seriously. There's some companies I just totally love. I got a free T-shirt from them when I was 13, which I wore out. And then when I got my first touring gig in my mid-20s, they sent me a care package of like, you know, 50 pack of strings. 50, you know, it was, they're just a great family-run, all-American mm-hmm. company in New York State. Yep. And Made just, in America, family Did you owned. put one of their stickers on your flight case when you, when you were a kid? I have one on my flight case now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> from the, yeah, anyway, absolutely. On your guitar, represent. though. You have to put one on your guitar on the back. Good call. Yes. Maceo Parker put one right on the front of his guitar. <laughs> really? I was like, dude. <laughs> so you gotta man, we got we got an audience. Sorry, let's that. play let's play something for Phil real quick. You gotta hear this cat. Oh, what do you wanna play? Alright. See, I told you he was funky. Love that. Thank you. 
Great to have some New Orleans in the house. Jam in F. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Well, I know we got to kind of wrap up because I got to go to the airport in a bit. But yeah, man. I'll let you dude. Guys finish it, but thank you. Dude, Phil, thanks and for thank everything. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, man. Great meeting you. Later, Bill. So uh, we, should, I don't know, man. Might even wrap up soon. But do you have time? To just tell me a little story about how you got a Grammy. Yeah, that was producing an artist named Joel Sonier. Who he's, um, Joel is sort of the equivalent of a Louisiana JJ Kale. You know, he he he's not super famous, but he's very well known. He was Bob Dylan is a huge fan. Little Feet, the band, all these guys loved him, and he had been nominated a few times before. He's a, a Cajun singer. He's one of the few people alive still that grew up speaking only Cajun French till he was probably a teenager. And I mean, he's really old school, beautiful guy. And he had this this songbook that he's been working on for years. And he wanted to basically come up with a new repertoire of Cajun music. You know, they have in, in Cajun music you have like Jolie Blanc, Colinda, all these standard Cajun songs. He wanted to come up with like a new standard thing. And uh, I had played on a few of his records, and I just had this idea. I just knew if he'd let me, he's sort of a savant kind of Rain Man kind of guy, <laughs> if you uh-huh. knew him. I just had this idea, if you trust me, I could steer the, the boat and make a great record, and we did. We went into this beautiful studio and spent time and did it. And What was your and role? Did you hire I, band members? And- I did all, yeah, I produced it and I hired the band members. I helped them with the arrangements and I also uh, helped mix it myself and a, and a great engineer named Tony Daigle. He works a lot with Sonny Landreth. And, so cool. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, and were you managing the budgets and stuff? Or? Some of it. I'm doing that on Daryl's record now because I'm co producing Daryl's new solo record. 
Uh-huh. I don't really enjoy doing that part of it. But uh-huh. that's how that's how Joel's record came about, and I'm really proud of that record. It's called The Legacy. Yeah, my, my father uh, was a huge fan of Joel. He loved him. And um, so it was special you know, to be able to do that. What was the gram? What category was it? Region, uh, regional Roots. Oh, cool. I think John Cleary won uh, last year, Regional Roots. They have, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to win a Grammy. It's like you not have to be, I think there were a few hundred submissions in that category, and then, then it gets narrowed down to whatever it is, and then a panel has to vote, and this and that. And I think it helped somewhat that Joel, he was long overdue. Like I said, he had been nominated a few times, so... Uh, Dude, a Grammy is a Grammy. But I couldn't be there, man. I wanted to be there to to help him, you know, and to stand up there with him. But I I couldn't do it because we were actually in Mill Valley. I was with John Oates, and we were playing with Bob Weir, of all people, at his club, Sweetwater, that night. So I'm like, it's kind of weird, but... That's a great venue, a small venue for John Oates, I would think. It was just a little solo thing, but it was fun, yeah. Yeah, wonderful place. Great Mm -hmm. food. Marin County, you can't beat it, man. I love it. I love California, period. But Yeah. Well, man, thanks so much for uh, hooking up today, man. Thank you, Jude. Coming down. Thank you for for inviting me. All right, man. So I might make you play. Let's play a little play it out. I have this little thing I was working on, but I don't know if it's a jam thing. You want me to? Yeah, play us out. I'll play play something something, to see you. Something I'm working on, maybe. Okay, since the last podcast, the one with Tommy Emanuel, the amazing steel string thumb picker powerhouse virtuoso mind blower, some of you have been lying to me. You've been writing in saying, man, Tommy was amazing, dude. That's it, man. It's game over, man. I'm kind of quoting Bill Paxton, the late great Bill Paxton's great line from Aliens there, but you're like telling me you're going to smash your acoustics and... and sell them and, and make firewood and kindling out of them and stuff but you know what i know that actually after the dust settles after the shock wears off tommy inspired you i know he inspired me i know that it seems impossible at first but then you realize man he's just got two normal hands like most of you and he's got six strings and he's just doing the same moves we all do he's just doing them really well he's just really practiced them and got him down 
And he's got that Energizer Bunny thing, man. He's just got an on switch and he just goes. Love that about Tommy. So I think he's actually going to make you play more because he showed you that it is actually doable. It is actually possible. At least that's what I'm telling myself. You know what? Screw it. I'm smashing my guitars too. Forget it. But wait, no, I just hung out with Shane Terrio. What a fantastic player, soulful cat, and inspiring. I love playing with these great players and just kind of just kind of becoming friends with them. And just like, we're all on this guitar journey together. Everyone's journey is so different. Whether it's his, mine, yours, we're all doing the same thing, man. We're all exploring this amazing world of the guitar. I love it, man. Guitar is just a cool thing. What do you think? Sometimes I think it's a little bit like the lightsaber, like it's an elegant weapon that sometimes in the new generation is getting a little obscured by the hype. It's not really obscured. It's not really in any way whatsoever outdated. It's just there's so much static going on right now and so much social media and so many apps in everybody's face and so many LCD screens that people are in a little bit of a distracted moment in history. But this is an amazing weapon, and there is nothing more amazing than a true Jedi Knight. And I love interviewing them on this show. Sorry for the continued Star Wars references. That kind of shaped my brain when I was like seven years old. Guitar Player Magazine celebrating its 50th year in print, and the 50th anniversary issue just came out a couple days ago. You'll recognize the cover. It's kind of got all kinds of images of all kinds of different players in the cover. Man, 50 years. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Head over to guitarplayer.com to catch up on all things guitar player. Head over to iTunes and please write a nice review of this podcast if you can. I'm told that every review helps. Helps us get noticed. Many more podcasts in the can coming up. Thanks to Zoom for the recorders that I use to record this. I hope you guys have been playing a lot this summer. I know I've been playing. I had a great gig this last weekend. Saturday night we played in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a.k.a. Flood City at the Flood City Music Festival. And it was an interesting bill. It was this band that I play with, Jefferson Starship. I've been doing that for five years now, which is crazy. Time is just flying. And and the other headlining band was Sugar Ray featuring Mark McGrath. What a cool cat, man. He came, in, he came and hang out with us backstage and was so respectful and just full of humbleness and compliments for us and Wow, especially for David Freiberg, who's been doing it since the Quicksilver Messenger service days all the way back in the mid to late 60s. David, man, Mark is just like genuflecting with him and just cracking us up. Such a funny dude singing our songs. And we sang one of his songs with him, one of his number one hits. And then he got on stage and just rocked the house and was also a a comedian in between songs. I was cracking up and singing along. I loved it. And then the next morning, the uh, Johnstown Tribune Democrats Sunday newspaper put pictures of all of us in the paper on the front page leading into the next page. It was just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. That was something to send my mom. And uh, sometimes you get a good gig every once in a while, whether it's a bar in front of 10 people that just everything's freaking clicking or you get to play at a little festival or who knows what else. You just never know when you're going to have a great gig. And I'm always incredibly appreciative for when the stars align and that happens. I saw another cool guitar band too. I met them at the airport and I watched their set 
Igor and the Red Elvises. Igor is awesome. He plays like a reverend, gets this killer tone. It's kind of like psychedelic surf rock with a ruski edge. Man, that was cool. I saw a few songs of them. Anyhow, thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. My name is Jude Gold. Keep it alive to your 95. See you very soon. No Guitar Is Safe.